What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is Smart People Podcast. A podcast for smart people, where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks for tuning in. This week on the show, we are interviewing someone who was suggested to me by my friend Eddie. So shout out to Eddie. And the reason Eddie recommended our guest is because Eddie and I, since I've known him, often talk about how to get more out of life, what's true and what is presented to us is true, but probably not. And ultimately, how do we enjoy our time here? And it usually devolves into something about money and investments, but still, I do believe that a huge part of life is figuring out how you can live in the most intentional way based on your goals, values, dreams, and hopes. And our guest this week has a very unique take on how to do that. Our guest is Paul Millard, and Paul is an independent writer. He's a freelancer. He's a coach. But overall, I'd say Paul is a thoughtful guy. Some might say he's escaped the matrix, but he's honest about it. And so that's why in this episode, it might sound a little bit more like a conversation, a meandering journey at times, as opposed to a quote unquote interview. Paul wrote a book called The Pathless Path, imagining a new story for work and life. As you're going to find, you know, you can imagine that that standard cliche story about working a job you hate and then going off to find yourself. And that is a little bit of what it is. And it's also a little bit of my story, as you know, and many of our stories out there. And many of you want that to be your story. And so the purpose of this episode is to discuss the idea of simply living your life instead of planning it. Hopefully you'll see it as being part of a conversation with two of your friends that allows you to think more deeply about your life and your purpose. Let me know what you think. Smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Let's get into it. We are talking with Paul Millard about his book, The Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life. Enjoy. We're just conversing here, so do continue. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think... Um... I've been thinking a lot about this. People have said for me a few years, oh, you can't do what you're doing because if you want, if you had kids, right? That was always the easy dunk on me. People that didn't understand my writing would say. Um, the central theme of my writing, though, is uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, <laughs> I want to learn and um, change my mind as I go. Right. It is a, it. I see life as an unfolding process, right? And every new phase, new um, moment gives you information about what to do next. And six years to explore freedom and doing my own thing and wandering on my own before I had a kid. 
And it was that process of learning to exist with uncertainty, becoming more resilient, developing a relationship with my spouse. And that prepared me to like insert a child into my life. Yeah. Um, but I've only figured out how to do it with up to a 10 year old. I have no idea how to do it with a two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight year old. Right. <laughs> um, but it's worked so far and I'm going to keep going. But like, there's not like, I think people see it as like, oh, you either do this or that. Right. I'm not going to sacrifice my children's health, shelter, or food for my own like desire. Would I sacrifice my own stuff for that? Yes. Yep. Right. Yep. 100%. Um, but yeah. Well, I'm curious about this, this mentality of, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I like to change my mind as I go. Are you just comfortable with it? You're just like, look, the yeah. worst isn't that bad. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I kind of get excited thinking about what might happen. Like, I I do not generate worst case scenarios. <laughs> ah, there you go. Uh, my wife does, but she she's still very good with uncertainty. Um but sometimes I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. Like when I think about the future, it's like my worst case scenario is like uh, maybe like slightly more challenging than my current state. But there's no like disaster ser like scenario that I generate. It's all like, oh, all these like nine potentially cool things could happen. That's definitely a mindset. I I'm curious it's to a practice too. So I I've been go. on this path for seven years. I've lived in several countries. I've shifted my focus of my income, my work, my revenue uh, several times. Um, I've had setbacks. I've had things go wrong. I've gotten um, parasites in Mexico. I had a tooth extracted and had an infection in Spain. I um, got bit by a dog in Taiwan. So wow. <laughs> like <laughs> you do enough random stuff and enough things go wrong. That's like, it does give me a little um, like, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I think there's a couple of different types of people listening. One type is going to be the person who is scared by those things. I think like my wife might be like that, right? Uh, parasites and dog bites and all that. That stuff sounds awesome to me because it's, yeah. it's, it's, you're, um, you're like me. It's like, you know, shit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a sign of a, a life well lived. I actually <laughs> used to say that, um, I spent my twenties just trying to be interesting. Like, so that yeah. later in life I could, I could be an interesting person. So there's those people and we could talk about how to, how to change that perspective. The one that, um, this show was predicated on was more about how to make a living, a, a nice living. If that's a goal for you on your terms or in an enjoyable, authentic way. And so I want to ask you this, but before you were able to support yourself off this work. How did you answer the question of when I'm 30 or whatever it is and want a full family in a house, how am I going to get there and not hate my life? I don't like, have How do you house. answer that? <laughs> All <laughs> right, there we go. <laughs> like, nor do I have a gold own one. Yeah. Why, why do you, like, why do you assume I would want a house? That's, That's a great question. Yeah. What do you want? Uh, freedom to work on things, um, that inspire me and give me energy and the space to spend bountiful time with my family. But that's it. Like that's, I've, I already like had that at, um, my first few years, my first four years of working on my own, I didn't, or first five years, I didn't make more than 60 grand in a year. And I made like 20 or 30 grand after costs uh, of like business expenses and stuff um, for two or three of those years. Um, but I, I was like living the life I wanted. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think I, I really think of things from like first principles. It's almost like a zero based budgeting for my life is like, Okay, start with nothing and then add on what do I want? And I really don't generate a lot of like material or expensive things. See, here's where I get tripped up. Do you think you were just born with the, the, yeah, the yeah. perfect mentality for 
like this, this idea? Because I wasn't. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a yes and. Yeah. Um, I've always been comfortable. Um, I had a, I was a lot more of a rule follower in high school and school and growing up. I think a lot of that was learned. And it was actually very easy for me to let go of that stuff, which makes me think it was sort of just like a survival tactic to like exist in the school system and stuff. Um, I was good at it too. So I got rewards for it. But yeah, I've always questioned authority. I've always questioned rules. I've always wanted to take my own way. Right. Even with like trying to get into consulting, I was like, people were like, you didn't go to the right school. It's not good enough. You can't get in. I'm like, "Mm, really? (laughs) Let's test this. So I've always been testing reality and that's fun for me. Yeah. And I think I had a lot of love uh, when I was a child too. So I'm just like very comfortable. Um, I like myself. I'm happy. Um, I don't worry or obsess about failure a lot. Um, A lot of people struggle with that stuff. And I don't know how to resolve those things for them. Yeah, I like did nine years in the consulting world. And at the end of it, I was working with senior partners making over a million dollars a year. I was working with CEOs, board members. These were like the top of society. And they bored the hell out of me. It was stupid. They're all saying shit they don't believe. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm good. <laughs> like, I, I don't see the point. Like, what what was the point? Um, and I... So at that point, I'm 32. I have like 50 grand in savings in the bank. And I'm like, F- it. Um, I have nothing to lose. I'm single. Who cares? Right. I had become so cynical that like I just couldn't go on in that state of cynicism anymore. And I think like deep down, I just like wanted more. I needed more out of life. And then when I found it within a year or two in a life where I was making 20% of what I used to make, but like I felt more alive. I felt like my life was glowing. I felt excited about the future. Then it was like, oh, I'll fight for this, right? And so that, those first two to three years, really just like, people don't understand. Like, I will fight to keep doing this. And there are constraints the constraints I've realized I need are I have to do work that matters to me because I can do that indefinitely, right? So I'm very um, obsessive about designing how I work, what I work on and what I commit to and what I say no to. But like it's starting to have payoffs, but not until the sixth or seventh year. Sure. So I'm not a get rich quick guy. I'm not going to sure. say like you should blow up your life and like start a start a side hustle and do all these things. I don't know how to do that. I know how to find work you love, commit to it, um, and not give up. And see what happens. Is that is that right. the basic idea? I mean, of course, look, listeners walked in really in the middle of a conversation, which is the point. And that's going to happen here, by the way. So if you want a structured interview, not happening. <laughs> L- let's take a step back. Let's define the pathless path. Yeah. Define it for me. This is something that you're, you can't define it, man. <laughs> sure you can. No, but like. Here, I have a... Um, I mean, you wrote a book about it. If you can't define it, then like, come on. Well, I <laughs> left it, it... I defined it, but I left it vague enough that it's it's really sort of a term that you could... I, the, I was first gravitated to the term because it helped put a word to something I was feeling. And I think like... Here, I'll, I'll read the actual like paragraph that people seem to resonate most. Yeah, please do. And I love how you have to read it because for those listening, I, I, the vibe I'm getting is like in your mind by having to define it and hold on to it too tightly, it loses what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The pathless path is an alternative to the default path. It is an embrace of uncertainty and discomfort. It is a call to adventure in a world that tells us to conform. For me, it is also a gentle reminder to laugh when things feel out of control and trusting that an uncertain future is not a problem to be solved. Mm. Right. So 
I also go on to say the pathless path has been my way to release myself from the achievement narrative that I had been unconsciously following. I was able to shift away from a life built on getting ahead towards one focused on coming alive. I was able to grapple with the hard questions of life, the ones we try to ignore. So it's, it's really sort of like a philosophical stance toward life for me. Right. And it's not, there's no playbook. Right? It's sort of a choose your own adventure, but it's a reminder of what you don't want. And so when Penguin Books tries to buy my book for, um, they offered me 200 grand for The Pathless Path and a second book deal. But I had one conversation with them and it was the most soul draining thing I'd experienced. So after my wife goes, you look totally off and I said to myself, like in that moment, it's like, okay, remind myself of the mantra, coming alive over getting ahead. That's all that matters. And so easy no. Even though, like, could they help blow my book up and take it global and go massive? Probably. Um, Higher percentage odds than I do. But what's more fun to me? The more fun is like, oh, what if I could, potentially pull that off on my own and play the long game. And if I don't succeed, I will have had more fun along the way. This episode is brought to you by Hims. We don't want to admit it, but 52% of men over 40 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. But like many health problems, no one wants to talk about or take up hours of your day to deal with it. That's why you need to check out Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Hims offers an array of high-quality options, including pills or chews for ED, and serums, sprays, or oral options for hair loss. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you, for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. No insurance is needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. You can even manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com/smart. That's h i m s.com/smart. For your personalized treatment options. One last time, hymns.com slash smart. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash twist for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscriptions plan. How many people do you think, honestly, at their core, feel Similarly, there was this statement you made about the consultants, right? That I know to be true. I know to be true. And I always wonder, is everybody in the room thinking the same thing? Which is this. Everybody is saying things they don't believe. Yeah. I I truly believe this. Constructed to fill the void of the powerful. Like the people who really make it, who climb and claw. The thing that they're filling when they're in these rooms is not something that you and I and and most people listening even have. That's why it feels like a struggle. That's my opinion. Say more about that. So you're saying like in these rooms, right? When you have your, let's talk about your, you know, senior consultants make a million dollars and uh, all that stuff, right? And you're in the room, there's eight people and they're all saying words and they, they, they say it very matter of factly. And they show up robotic, yeah. it's devoid of emotion. I think it's a lot of people trying to fill something in them that those of us who question it just don't have. We're able to see this like farce. And some of us are able to escape, such as yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think that kind of person actually does fully buy into what they're doing, Right. Um, that's the only way to make it to the highest levels of these organizations. You have to sort of um, buy in. 
otherwise you end up opting out. People like me opt out earlier. Other people sort of just like pick a role or find an alcove in a company and are like, okay, this is a place I could hang out, um, do work that's energizing to me enough and like deal with the other stuff. Um, yeah, and that that's a, that is like a winning formula. I think this goes deeper to like the fabric of reality. I think, you know what common knowledge is? Everyone knows what everyone knows. Everyone knows that everyone knows br brushing your teeth, right? Everyone knows that everyone knows brushing your teeth is smart, right? So you don't say out loud, like brushing your teeth is stupid, right? And <laughs> right. who knows? Maybe there's a rabbit hole on that and like I'm wrong about that. But Depends um, on what kind of toothpaste, Paul, by the way. No more right. fluoride. Hydroxyapatite right. is in, just so you know. All right, I gotta <laughs> update my toothpaste. Perhaps. Yeah, man. <laughs> but um, everyone knows that everyone knows um, full-time employment is smart, right? Everyone knows that everyone knows um, owning a house is the best way to have a family. I got one for you. Everyone knows that everyone knows you need to save a massive amount of money for retirement because we're going to get into that. That's the thing right, that scares right, the shit right, out right. of me, but okay, yeah. Right, and so like people sort of just grow up immersed in these and like don't question them. And so you can actually find somebody 30 years into their career and ask them why they work and they don't actually have an answer because they've never actually had to have one. Right. And the thing I like about self-employment is it, it throws you out of that reality tunnel where everyone knows why you're doing what you're doing to literally people just are like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Aren't you scared about this? Aren't you worried about this? And suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot of things to worry about. I guess I need to face that fear directly or actually come up with an answer to it. Right. So like the retirement question, like all my peers are working in these jobs where they're just stacking massive amounts of cash. And the assumption is you need tons of money to retire. And so it's like, all right, I should probably think about that. Um, and so three years ago, I wrote a post where I retired myself. And I said, I'm not worried about this anymore. Um, because I logged into the Social Security website. Um, I saw I was fully qualified for Social Security. Um, so I'm definitely going to get at least $2,000 a month from Social Security. Um, I had saved a decent amount in my 20s, and that was going to continue to compound because I had near 100% confidence that I could at least break even for the next 25 years, right? So even if I don't save any more money with my current savings, um, plus Social Security, plus my wife's Social Security, um, we'd have about like six to $7,000 a month. If I can't figure out how to live a good life on six to $7,000 a month, I've done something terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Because it's not a money problem. It's a cre life creativity problem. Whew. This is This is important. Okay, yeah. like let's talk about the money aspect. There aren't ever things you just, you just wish, like, damn it, I want to buy that. I want to have that. I want to experience that. And maybe the answer is no. I'm just curious. So, I mean, we, we have a more expensive rent now. Um, we, I, I bought a more expensive laptop, but like, that seems sensible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm spending more now um, because I'm making more, but I'm comfortable right. with that. I don't know. Mm. Like, what would be an example of like, yeah. Yeah. Something like a, no, a I, house. I, me and my wife have like zero desire, like, which is fine. Right. I think that that's one, very, that saves us enormous amount of money. <laughs> yeah. I think that one is for those paying attention are okay with They're starting to understand that. I'll give you an example. One of my favorite things, absolute favorite things in the world to do is golf. Like it just is, I, it's, yeah. it, I get immense pleasure from it, but that's um, not that expensive. It's pretty expensive, <laughs> you know? Okay. And, well, and let me just take it one step further because this is where my mind goes and this is where there's a problem. I want to join this country club. It's one of the most expensive country clubs. Like it just is. I don't know if I'll ever be able to, but I would really like to. And so those are the kind of unnecessary things that I'm trying to determine 
But that's uh, like, you know, that's yeah, like what Ramit Sadi talks about. That's like your rich life. Yeah. Like that, right, that's yeah. a thing like where I would, I would just go spend money on that. That's what gives you satisfaction. Right. Right. Um, deduct it as part of your business. Right. So, you, um, so is your philosophy, you know, be very intentional. Is yeah. that it? It's an intentionality. Yeah, we spend a lot on like travel and like a lot of our decisions like don't make sense, right? Like we've had an apartment at times and then I would spend like $3,000 for a month of a rental in another country. But that's my rich life, right? And I also have the confidence that I can flex down if my income goes down. I still be happy. So I'm noticing, well, Paul, I'm noticing like, I knew this, right? It's not formulaic at all, but it is almost entirely a mentality of uh, purposeful decision-making, yeah. removing oneself from an outcome, almost. I mean, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any goals. <laughs> okay, I, yeah. I just want to like keep the game going. Nice. Um, there's no like financial or material or outcome goals. Um, and like, I, I have seven years of confidence. I can make money too. Of course. And yeah. like, I've had insane amounts of success in the last two years. Nice. So I'm able to like spend a little more and not worry about things. Um, you're assuming that like I've solved my financial worries. I worry about money all the time. Um, I don't know what I'm going to make money doing in a few years. I don't know what it's going to look like with kids. I don't know how we're going to afford um, schools or moving bigger place. I, I don't know. But like that is not the emotion I want to be shaping my life strategy from. Right. Pause. So, pa- Dude, yeah. Paul. I, okay. I don't know how I'm going to make money in the future. That's it. Yeah. The reason I'm pausing you, that is a question. That every single person listening asks themselves, unless they're loaded. For those that want to understand, start moving towards your philosophy, how do we get comfortable with that? So I took a deliberate strategy of trying to make money in a bunch of different ways. That will give you a lot of confidence. Making $100 on your own is like worth a hundred. It's worth like a million of salaried money. Yeah, I've made money holding a sign looking for survey respondents in New York. I've made money doing um, writing reports for other companies. I've made money writing my own book. I've made money consulting. I've made money training companies. I've made money selling a digital product. I've sold a course. I've um, done coaching on personal stuff. I've done coaching on slide presentations. Um, I've done affiliate content deals. I've made money off YouTube. Um, I've made money off writing on Medium, on Quora, on... And some of these dollar amounts range from like $3 to like uh, tens of thousands. Um, But it's like at a certain point, you're like, I can do stuff. I can make money. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what the thing is, but I know I'll figure it out. And that is more alive than knowing. Yeah. And it's it's exciting for me to potentially make money in a new way, right? So this year was the first year I made more than 50% of my income from my personal writing on work. That's amazing. How did you do that? Is that through the book or through other? I mean, I don't even know how you make money writing outside of a book. (laughs) Mostly my book. Yeah, I didn't before my book. (laughs) Um, I had made less than $3,000 from writing. Sure. Um, before my book. And mm. now I've made about $220,000 from my book. That's amazing. Congrats. Yeah, it's insane. It's mind blowing. And it's like the greatest. It's it's so cool. Cause like I poured my heart into my writing for seven years, never expecting to make money. Exactly. And now making money. And I'm, I'm just like, honestly, I'm just trying to enjoy every moment. Like I basically like quote unquote purchased um, an entire year of paternity leave. Yeah. With my time. And like buying time is buying time is my rich life. Right. I love it. Buy time to write about ideas I'm excited about. Buy time to have conversations like this. Um, buy mm-hmm. time to spend it with my daughter. It's like, man, nothing's better. That that is my house. That is my dream home. 
What do you say to those who really are thinking, look, Paul, I'm buying time also. It's just more secure and it's going to come in the future. I don't say anything to them. I said, it sounds great. I hope that's what you really want. <laughs> All right, I don't want to convert anyone. I think this, this goes back to something you were saying before. I thought people like me were like 1% of the population. I think there was a much bigger population that was in these jobs and performing in these roles um, who, are, who struggle doing it, um, who crave and want more. And I think it's like 10 to 30% of the employed working population. And that sort of surprised me. Um, The reason I wrote my book, I would have conversations with people and people say, look, Paul, what I'm telling you, like, I haven't even told my spouse. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) stranger on the internet is the first person you're telling these, like, I don't like my job or I wish there was some other way. Um, People want more. And it's not that people want to quit their job and escape. People want more. They want to be inspired. They want to be challenged. They want to work on things that matter to them. That's why you started your podcast. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But the short term is sometimes people do need to escape for a couple of years just to reset and reconnect with themselves. And that's insanely costly. Um, because you will be shamed by your family. You will be made fun of by your friends. You'll feel like an idiot by your society and culture. Um, you'll make far less money. Um, you won't know what you're doing. And like the first few years were really tough for me. Um, but below it all, I had this deep faith that like, okay, this is worth it. I did nine years of that other path. I sort of like tried a bunch of stuff, like didn't work. <laughs> And like, I'm willing to burn it down. (laughs) You said something there um, about taking the time. And I know you talk about that in your book. Could be a sabbatical, something along those lines. Tell me like what you notice or noticed when you freed yourself from that and what you've seen others notice. Yeah. So my first year I went, I got super nervous about making money right away. I went super into strategy, like freelance consulting, found a bunch of clients and then sort of like relaxed and eased back a little. And I had enough like spaciousness in my life that like I sort of like was able to soften into myself. My days felt slower. It felt less busy, felt more anxious. And then those consulting projects unwind. And I said, I asked myself the question of like, okay, what does it look like if I just like don't try to work on like paid work? And like over time, yeah, like I've been writing about this somewhere else recently. Like it starts like sneaking up on you, like a different way of being. And it's hard to describe to somebody that hasn't experienced it. It's basically like what childhood feels like for a lot of people. Oh, that's <laughs> what a great college analogy. feels like for people. But like it snuck up on me. Like all of a sudden I'm biking around the middle of a day in Boston and like I'm like laughing for no reason. And I'm like that's that's weird that's cool i like that 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 feels nice like what is that and so the message i tell people is there is a state you can find that is lighter more relaxed more connected and like more energized about life and if you're not in that state or aren't able to shift into that state easily you need to go search for it now that search, that search is the pathless path. I don't know how to how you personally can find it. I have a few suggestions on on ramps on how to go search for it. Um, but ultimately, like for me, like life is not actually worth living if I don't have that state. Mm. You mentioned some ramps there. What's yeah. like your favorite? Yeah. What's what's something you like doing as a kid? First thing that comes to your head. I, I mean, it's cliche, but sports is just all I ever. What sport? Really, baseball. Okay. Uh, when's the last time you had a catch? Oh, um, let's see. Two days ago. My, yeah. my son plays baseball. Yeah. Nice. And how do you feel during that? I love, I mean, I, it's the best, right? It's the best. Yeah. Um, so that is what basically a hack I tell people to get into that state. Um, 
go do something uh, when you were a kid. Now, the best way uh, to do this is to block off your day um, in the middle of a work day. So ideally, like a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. Um, for me, it was basketball, right? So um, just go block off your calendar and secretly sneak out and go do something. It works best when you're doing it during the workday because then there's that tension of feeling like you're skipping on work. You should try to secretly sneak out um, <laughs> and not tell anyone. Um, and just go do it for two to three hours. If you don't do that, go take a walk without a destination. Set out of your house, your apartment, wherever you live, and just start wandering. Start taking turns and just start noticing how you feel. And just keep walking. What about when they like it? What about when they go, uh-oh, I think I do want more of this. And now we have to start making decisions about certainty and uncertainty. Yeah. And I'm not here to solve that for people. I write from the perspective that like people are smart enough to take ownership over their, their own life. The thing is, I don't actually think there's a playbook. Right? This is... What people are experiencing is the timeless um, experience of the human condition. What I sort of believe, actually, I definitely believe, is that we've sort of convinced ourselves that the human condition and the un inherent uncertainty and discomfort of life can be solved by opting in to a strategy or a role in life, right? Like traditional employment. What the result of that is we have these workplaces where we have tens of thousands of people that have never actually faced the uncertainty of life or discomfort of life directly, right? And oftentimes this is like why when you become a parent, I think um, you start being incapable of connecting with like young overachiever um, employees it's because like you're actually in touch with like reality you're solving real challenges week to week you know you have a different way of presenting something than a lot of people right you a lot of people they want to give the answers and you just keep going back to like nope not the answers. so what what motivated you to write the book and why do you think it resonated if you feel it's not really an answer to something i, I sort of wanted to see if i could write a book without giving an answer <laughs> I read all these books with frameworks and how to and playbooks and how to make money on the internet, all these posts. And it's like, I don't know. I think this is kind of stupid. Um, and I love writing. And I was just like, a lot of my stuff was <clears throat> um, resonating with people. So I was writing in this virtuous cycle of like posting stuff weekly in my newsletter. People were saying, holy shit, this is amazing. I was talking to people. People were telling me what they're really experiencing. I was writing about it. And it was just like very emergent cycle. Um, and yeah, specifically the book, I'm inspired by books like Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. yeah. Like that book is very inspiring because there are two personal stories in that book. Maury Schwartz, but also Mitch Albums of like being in the depths of a busy career and realizing like, this is kind of stupid. Like this is the most meaningful part of my life right now, having these conversations with Maury. Why am I chasing fast cars and awards and all these things? And like that book is so inspiring because he turned his entire life around. He adopted orphans, got involved in philanthropy, started writing in a different energy. Um, and yeah, it's um, that's kind of the thing I wanted to write but like without me actually being super successful first. Right. <laughs> I think it's more fun to write a book that's like, hey, I haven't really made that much money doing what I love, but it's been a worthwhile journey. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you say that, by the way. One of the things that I've realized, you know, a decade plus doing this show and all the other things that I've done is very, very few people are willing to talk about when they're in it. It's only after the fact, and you can call it survivor bias or whatever, but like even those that write those books, the vast, vast majority don't feel like they've made it. They just know they have to tell others they've made it. Like I will say, and I, I don't like to sound cynical because I love this podcast and I love the people I talk to, 
But it has more than almost anything in my life shown me that literally nobody has their underlying shit together. Like it's astounding. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's sort of a cool thing. I mean, like early on, I didn't know what I was doing and I was writing to a very small number of people, but then like I would write about not knowing what I was doing and then people would be like, Oh my God, this is so good. And then I'm like, Oh, I can write about not knowing what I'm doing, actually get ideas from people, become more confident by writing and sort of created this cycle. Got it. Yeah. And yeah, it's a shame. Like I know a lot of creators now and I know some people with some very successful books and they did not share their personal stories in those books and they're fine. They sell a lot of copies. They're but like, fine. <laughs> I love that. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that's my competitive streak a little. It's like, I don't know, let it rip and like, just tell people what's really going on. It actually helps people because the power of not feeling alone is way more powerful than a playbook or a framework. Let's just clip that. Clip that one. It's a great point. But I, I wrote for myself, like, cause I crave that stuff. I want it. I'd read these books and I'm like, why can't people just tell me how they actually felt? Yeah. That's how I feel about the workplace, by the way. That's why I struggle. And that's why yeah. I do what I do. And I actually, I don't take it too seriously. And I admit my flaws openly, but it, it, it starts to open up permissions and people will pull me aside and be like, Hey, can I talk to you about that? <laughs> right. You know? So uh, question for you. Um, yeah. What does a 10 times bolder, more authentic role look like for you at your current company? There isn't one at my current company. What if you went to the CEO of yeah. the company yeah. and said to him, look, I've been a podcaster for 13 years. The best thing we can do to share your message and ideas with the entire company is to do an ongoing podcast series. I'm going to interview people internally. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. This is incredibly valuable to you because you spend millions of dollars on your communications team and nobody in the company at the bottom line knows what's going on. Could I do yeah. this for you? Well, so a couple of thoughts. Number one is I've definitely thought about that. I've sort of pitched it a little bit. That's number one. I think my point in your original question is bolder vision is my 10 times bolder vision doesn't exist at the company. Yeah. It exists. I want to, I want to own a podcast, uh, creation firm like that, that, that specializes in the vibe that you kind of talk about to an extent, this, this honesty, this like honesty of you life could do that now I could. And this is Paul, this is where <laughs> I struggle. It's like, I, I lack the ability to have that much uncertainty. You know what I mean? But there's not even uncertainty. Just find a client and then find the editor it's more complicated than that. I think this is why I don't have any uncertainty about making money. Cause it, I've discovered like, that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's like, you just go do the thing. I think you're right. I just have to say this. Everyone I know who has that mentality has figured out how to make it work, make it work. Well, well, you have to have that mentality over time. And the, the thing that's really helped me accelerate that taking action is like having a kid. As soon as I knew my wife was pregnant, it's like my time is scarce. I'm not screwing around. It's like I'm either going to immediately take action on something and test if I can go bigger or not, or I'm not going to do it at all. You've said something a couple of times that I have to ask you about. You use this word energy. Yeah. We just interviewed a woman uh, her name is Dr. Julia DeGangi, and she wrote a book called Energy Rising. It's phenomenal. She she is a neuropsychologist that deals with the the energy of emotions, and like she was one of the first people in my mind that put this science to how we feel. And then I noticed you using in a very similar terminology, a similar way. How do you let this idea of energy guide you? Why is it so important in what you do? It's, it's actually interesting you ask about this because it's a dot I recently connected and it took me a while to realize this. 
uh, when I was, after I graduated business school, I started this job and I immediately got sick and spent basically the next three years uh, dealing with a chronic illness of like wow. multiple tick-borne infections Ugh. and re recovering from that. And basically for a year and a half, I had no energy. And so I became very efficient about how I spent my time. I would literally sleep 12 hours and then wake up fatigued. It's terrible. It's so depressing when you have no energy ever. Um, and then as I started to recover, one, I was more in touch with my body and how I was feeling. I was hyper aware of my energy. And two, man, if I had a day of energy, it was, that was everything. So I had one. And I think a lot of my current attitude and optimism comes from this. It's like, man, I wake up and I feel energy now. That is a freaking blessing. And I still deal with energy issues. I have off days. Yesterday was an off day. I had to take an hour nap in the afternoon after a full night of sleep. Like, luckily I can just nap when my daughter naps right now. <laughs> By the way, do you think the, the off days you have now, do you have lingering effects from the tick-borne illness? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've had a lot of issues. Um, and They're I'm brutal. still dealing with a lot of health issues. And that's another thing. Like People are like, uh, do you worry about like health stuff? It's like, no, I have health stuff and I'm actively <laughs> dealing with it and managing it. And yeah, but yeah, I think energy management after recovering from the chronic issues uh, was very important to me. Right. And I didn't want to waste my energy on people that drained me, people that were assholes. And now when I have energy, like I want to like I want to hang out with people. I want to spend time with my daughter. I want to go right. Like it it feels like such a gift that I have this. It's almost like I have a second chance. I really didn't know if I was going to recover. And that was a scary uh, experience. And I forget about this sometimes because it's been so many years. But yeah, I think it all stems from that. Um, yeah, I mean, I have energy today. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, you know I'm what? living the dream. This is freaking awesome. You know what you just made me realize? Uh, first of all, the story of the way you got to this idea of living intentfully for energy is because you've experienced high energy and low energy. People will listen and say, oh, tick-borne illness, I know what that can do. I imagine going from that no energy to high energy. That makes sense. And then they'll say, but in a job, not feeling energy, that's not real. It's not as real as an illness. I think it's easier to maintain. I think it's more possible to maintain over a long period of time, but it chips away at you, I think. 100%. No, I agree with you. I'm just saying, I don't think people look at it the yeah. equivalent. If you got strep throat and you were tired or COVID, we'd be like, oh, that makes sense. You don't have energy. But if you hate what you do every day, people will be like, ah, you're just, just right. suck it up. Well, there's a, there's a script for it, right? I think this is like what I'm trying to get at. Well, with the pathless path, I'm trying to create a new story that people can embrace, right? The story of work for many people is, well, work sucks, but you got to do it, right? And so there's a container for the suffering, right? But with health, um, if you're fighting a health issue, the story is you can beat this, you can overcome it, you can recover, you can get your best days back, right? So that's, that's a much easier story people can apply to their lives. And I think like there's pretty interesting writing about this but uh people interpret their life through stories now because of mass media and television and movies we sort of like look to those things to sort of uh make sense of our lives and the work stories we see like every movie has a guy that sort of hates their job and it's like oh okay yeah i'm supposed to hate my job my life uh, doesn't really make sense. It didn't make sense when I was making 35 grand that I absolutely loved and cherished my life and thought I was thriving and I felt successful. It broke people's brains. It made people upset at me. Like, 
similar experience, but I, I feel like I found that the people who had the most to say, they know that they're not willing to, to do the same thing, even though it's needed. Yeah, it's usually resentment or projection of insecurities. And so, yeah, when that would happen, I, I try to have compassion for people. Of course. When people are like, well, don't you worry about X? All they're doing is telling you their insecurities. So, yeah, I treat that with a lot of care. <laughs> That's a good point. Don't you worry about um, having a house for your kids? It's like, no, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can tell that's important to you. And that's cool. But sometimes they don't, they've never thought about it. I literally right. had a conversation about having a house. And so um, some uh, extended family, someone was having a conversation with me. She's like, so have you guys started looking for homes? He's like, no, we rent. She's like, I know, but you're having a kid. I'm like, yeah, we'll keep renting. She's like, frozen. I'm like, they let you rent with kids. <laughs> she goes, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of shocking to me. But the way yeah. I look at my life is a very bottoms up. It's like, okay, I like living in the place I actually want to live. The cost to buy a home where I want to live is about like four or five X the rental price, right? I'm in Austin right now. I can live in the prime location I want to live. If I wanted to live here in a house, this same like zip code, it would be about four times as expensive. Really? So that, that, that <laughs> must be including like inclusive of everything, like down payment and real estate taxes and insurance and all that. Yeah, everything. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, everything. The phantom Repairs. cost of owning, yeah. transaction costs. Um, yeah, and then the psychological burden. Yeah, yeah that, that, trust me, that exists. But I, I got to say, you know, this is one of those areas where I, one of the things I always wanted was basically the house I live in now. That's and um, it, it, it gives me immense joy. It, it People amazing. have asked this, right? They've said that. like, yeah, they said, oh, is it a burden or are you doing this for other people or none of it? I literally at least once a week will stand outside and go, holy shit, I can't believe I live here. Like, I love that. So That's I'm so saying cool. that because you can have multiple viewpoints or or multiple rich lives, as you will, right? With the same idea that you want to live an authentic yeah. life. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If I ever own a home, it I'm going to have the exact same experience as you. Because totally. I'm going to do it on my terms in a way I'm fully bought in. Like, and that's like the thing is, I guarantee like this podcast has been this for you. The Having a podcast or a creative outlet forces you to reflect and be honest with yeah. what you actually think. Um, most people, like, I think people get confused. Most people just don't really reflect on what they really want. <laughs> so- I have said to so many people, you will be forced to think about what you really want. It's just, is it going to happen before your deathbed or on it? Yeah. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I read, so I've read a lot of books about people dying or facing death or danger. And they say all these things and like they say I'm important. And I'm just like, well, I'm going to do this now. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Like there's so many narratives of like the guy who makes it regrets it and then writes the book or the posts and is like, oh man, I wish I was wiser when I'm younger. I'm like, the question for me has always been like, well, what if I just like act right now how I want to like just skip all that, like 20 years of suffering? Like how could yeah. I do that now? And it's hard. It's very hard. It's very, it's even harder with kids. It's a, it's a battle with the thing that humans aren't meant to have, meaning like we are built to, to try to find certainty, I think, right? And to, to acquire resources and to pass on our genetics and all these things that like society today can seemingly give you if you yeah. sacrifice your soul. I feel like you have found the ability to not succumb to that but it's like people are just soft too like <laughs> just just put it in perspective yeah. like yeah. we're capable of so much more yeah like my, my grandfather was abandoned um by his father 
at like, I forget what it was, like 10 years old or something. And he was separated from his sisters um, because they didn't want to take another boy. Um, And he was sent to the farm and his uncle. And he had to drop out of school and work full time on a farm while being like verbally abused. Right. And he survived, made it work, raised a family. Um, My wife's grandfather, um, refugee from China, um, went to Taiwan in 1948 or nine, separated from his family, never saw anyone again, never saw his parents, never was able to reunite with his family until the 90s. Like, like unfathomable. I'll never get to that point in my life. Like I have such a degree of like safety and comfort and freedom um, that it's like, all right, take some, take a couple swings of like potentially having my savings go down to zero is not that big of a risk. By the way, Paul, you know who said the almost exact same thing to me? Just so you know, the company you're in, uh, Tony Shea, the, um, nice. the, the, you know, founder of Zappos, it almost verbatim. And, and I just think that, well, he had we some challenges that. as well. He did. Um, he did. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, his perspective was very powerful. And I think he had a lot of pain from living in tension with the society. Exactly. I agree with you. One of the things that you talk about that I have tried to articulate in my own sphere is this idea of infinite game and finite game and yeah. how pathless, pathless path can be infinite and the, the, the standard path you know, can be a little more finite. Tell me about that, how you came to that, what it means to you. Yeah, so I've been diving into the theory of games recently, right? And there's this idea of achievement play. And this is this idea that like the point of playing a game is to win the game or what comes from winning, like some reward, right? And people around like board games, they think about games like this. And in that world, they said like, this is the only kind of game. So there's this other guy, C.T. Wynn, he comes in and said like, well, actually people play games because they want to just like have the challenge, right? So they might accept that we're all trying to win to... um have fun along the way, right? And so examples of this are like drinking games in college, right? (laughs) You might play a drinking game, not with the intent to win, but you know you're going to have fun along the way. So you're accepting that you're trying to earn some goal, but like losing is actually, like losing in the short term during the game is or failing is like actually something that's totally fine, right? And so his idea is like, there's this sort of like striving game that you would accept the ends such that you could shape the means, right? And I'm trying to like readapt this into a second book, which is the idea that like you might accept um, a certain game. So the game I'm designing for myself is like, what is the, how can I build a life without ever going back into a traditional employment? That's the constraint. Within that, there's many ways I could structure my life, but I can sort of like choose my own challenges or struggles, right? And the struggle is like, I constantly face uncertainty. And like, that is an interesting challenge because like what I found is it actually makes my life better. So yeah. So that is an infinite game because like, there's no winning really. Like winning is continuing to be able to play the game I like playing. And so achievement play for self-employment, which you could do, would be, well, I'm going to become a seven-figure entrepreneur. And then you're like this. You're going after it. I don't know which direction I'm headed, but if I make half as much this year as I did last year, that does not impact anything. I might have to make different financial choices, but I'm Mm. not less successful. And that's because the goal isn't the you know, the to win necessarily. Winning is the enjoyment of the game. It's just to keep playing the game, right? And the most important thing is how do I stay interested in right. continuing on this path? And if I am becoming disillusioned or cynical or um, too frustrated, I need to step back and like sort of remix mm-hmm. the rules of the mm-hmm. game. 
Right. What can I change? Have you found, this is the crazy thing, is that when you do the, let's call it the pathless path, it, the, the things you get from it, you can't, you couldn't have even predicted. And like some of those right. are going to be, you get bit by a dog in the middle of the slums or something. You got to go get rabies shots, which I'm assuming you did. No, the, did you have to? They no. said there's no rabies in town. <laughs> and you just said, okay. Oh my God, Paul. I mean, I mean they have a very extremely strict oh, okay. um, quarantine policy and they said it'd be fine. But yeah, there were about six weeks there when I'm like, okay, there is a non-zero chance I could just drop dead yeah. in six weeks. You, so, know, you know about rabies, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh yeah. okay. Yeah, it's just dead. Yeah, you're, you're just, just dead, you're there's dead no... in the worst way. But yeah, um, so yeah, that, but yeah, but there's also upside positive exactly. things. That's that what I mean. Happen. Yeah. Like I expected to sell like two to 3,000 copies of my book. I sold 45,000 and it's made me more than $200,000. Uh, that enabled me to basically not worry about money for the last year while I spent the first year of life with my daughter. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Like it, that is unfathomable to me years ago. I can't believe it. It's like, oh my gosh. Paul, I know I I mean, given how um how important your time is to you, I want to make sure I've I value it as well. And I'm already over. So last thing I'm gonna ask you is this like uh if somebody's considering picking up your book. Why, why would you hope they would do it? Um, so the people that love my book are the people that are already asking these questions and they're looking for like, oh, I don't feel so crazy or I don't feel so alone. I don't want to change anyone's mind. If you're a skeptic and you're like, this guy's a loser, do not pick up my book. I'm not writing for you. I don't want to serve you. I'm not going to write for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm writing for the people asking the questions that want to go deeper, that want to think differently and are like, you know, this whole work thing, something has gone terribly wrong with the way we're structuring our lives. What is happening? Um, I think there is a large shift happening in terms of people reflecting on their relationship with work. It's going to take some time, but shit's just going to get weirder. And like, <laughs> I think my book is as good on ramp to starting to understand some of the weirdness that's starting to emerge. Paul, I, I don't know if you've ever said that, said it in that way before, but I like, not. but you should, <laughs> I, I, if I read that on the Amazon description, I'd buy it in a second, like the weirdness part. Yeah. Like, sh like shit's going to get weirder. And this is an on ramp because I completely agree. I, I I've been fighting this battle for 20 years in with the work force like it's so funny um during covid no i'll let you go i promise um i had a, a 10 year facebook post like a reminder pop up and it was me stuck in just bumper to bumper just awful traffic and it said my 10 year goal is to never have to do this again right so you're talking 20 this was 2012 ish um and when it popped up on my screen i was working from home because of covid you know and I thought, how funny is that? Like, how funny that was my goal. I have essentially achieved it. Not necessarily yeah. because I did anything. But my point is, I think people have felt it for a long time. I think, to your point, the weirdness is going to continue. And if your book is that on-ramp, then, man, people should look into it. I agree. Love it. What's your 10-year goal now? <sighs> I haven't thought about it, man, but uh, I should. No, I just don't, I just, I, I just don't ever want to have to work again. Like, because I, I, I will work. I've been talking with, um, this previous guest that I interviewed. I now talk to her like regularly. And well, I think your goal is like mine. You don't want to do work. You don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, you can't do a podcast for 10 years without actually enjoying. Exactly. Um, enjoying it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the honesty behind what we can do if we're not tied to money. That's the thing, right? Like you could, this is why I'm a proponent of UBI, not to get political, but I just think we'll be amazed at what happens globally if people don't have to worry about the basic necessities of life, like the kind of creativity. And, and I don't mean like art, art's cool, but I mean like people will cure cancer because the dude who wants to learn that, who's stuck in a, you know, factory job or whatever, we'll finally go do it. 
I truly think that. So there's my rant, Paul. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it's, um, I'm not against people working. I want people to work on the things they can actually do over the long term because that's where extraordinary things happen. That's where great art happens, great work, and uh, work that inspires other people. I agree. Listen, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, incredible stuff. The book is The Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life. Paul, thanks for bringing this message to the world, inspiring others to uh, to live it. Awesome. Pleasure to uh, introduce me to all your smart people. Heck yeah. A thank you to this week's guest, Paul Millard. This episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Paul's book, The Pathless Path, Imagining a New Story for Work and Life, can be found wherever books are sold. And now the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.